the best time to sell your business is when your business is in its prime, when it's doing really, really well. But business owners don't want to sell in the prime because that's in their heyday and they just want to rake in all the dough. But that's when you really should sell because what goes up must come down at some point, right? So you really have to plan your exit from the beginning and business owners don't do that. And then the other big issue is when they think about selling, they're like, well, Michelle, I need $20 million for my business. Okay, how did you come up with that? Well, that's what I need to retire on. <laughs> <laughs> that's what I need to put five girls you know, through college and pay for their weddings, or that's what I need to buy an island or whatever it is. They base the value on what they need for their beginning strategy. And buyers don't care about what you need or what you want. <laughs> buyers care about what the value is to them. So if you want to sell for $20 million, then build a $20 million company. So that's what I work my clients through is how to build a GPS exit model from day one of buying or starting a company. Welcome to the Leaders of Tomorrow podcast. My name is Chris Thompson, your host of the show and the head coach of the Student Works Management Program. This is a show dedicated to young and ambitious entrepreneurs and ultimately the leaders of tomorrow. Each week, we will bring you an inspiring interview or message to help you create the future you know you deserve. Let's get started. Hey, leaders. I am super, super excited to share the following guests with you. Uh, so we basically have have Michelle Seller Tucker of Seller Tucker Incorporated, and she has is the best selling author of "Sell Your Business for More Than It's Worth," and she is basically a twenty year veteran in the M and A space. She's regarded as the leading authority on buying selling, fixing, and growing her business. I mean, growing businesses. Her and her firm have sold over a thousand businesses, a thousand businesses in almost every vertical and have a tremendous track record of success. So she has a new book called Exit Rich and um, she has some offers that are available for our leaders exclusively that she'll talk about at the end of the podcast and I'm sure David will put in the show notes. So really excited. I wanted to, to, to bring Michelle on um, to sort of, for our leaders who are, who again, up to really, really a big game, up to how could I go out and sell a multi-million dollar business and what would be involved in that? I know many of us are not really thinking about that, but it really is um, something that is possible. And it will only happen if we create it first. And so Michelle uh, makes that very apparent in this podcast and, and makes it very, very thought-provoking and detailed explanation of how really successful entrepreneurs exit from their businesses powerfully. So you know what I'm up to is looking for an amazing young leaders. And uh, so if you know anyone, please share our podcast. Please send them to studentworks.com and uh, have yourself an unbelievable day. Thanks so much. Michelle, thank you so much for joining us on the Leaders of Tomorrow podcast. We are so excited. Thank you so much, Chris, for having me. It's a pleasure to be here. Yeah, no, it's it's just amazing. And and I know one of the things we always love to do is is sort of jump back, you know, to you know, pre pre-college days and, and just think about who were you as a, a as a as a person? What were you thinking of your career? Maybe what things were frustrating you about life at that point? Oh wow. <laughs> you start off with the big questions. <laughs> <laughs> I do. Dig right in. Yeah. Um, well, I've always been an entrepreneur. You know, I've always been interested in small business. I've always been a people person. So I've always, um, you know, have owned different types of businesses um, from uh, printing, you know, publishing to okay. event companies. At one point, I owned a wedding magazine. <laughs> so okay. I was involved, you know, heavily in the wedding business. Uh, so I've always owned different types of businesses. I've always been interested in writing. I've always been really a writer. And okay. um, I've always been, you know, like I said, interested in small business and interested in what makes people tick and what makes people successful. I mean, there's so many really widely successful entrepreneurs out there. And many of them have an eighth grade education and they built yeah. a multi-million dollar, billion dollar company. And that's always been intriguing to me to see how, you know, no, how do they do that? You know, we're selling a company right now for about $70 million. 
And the owner built the business out of his pickup truck, <laughs> you know, back in the 90s. <laughs> and he has an eighth grade edu education. Yeah. yeah. So education is not it. That is that is not a, education a defining is factor. Not it. It's like no. Rich Dad Poor Dad, you know, yes. that was written by Robert Kiyosaki and Sharon Lecter. And Sharon Lecter is my co-author on my newest book. Um and my latest book, which is Exit Rich, you see behind me. Yes, just in I case, see that. And just in case somebody forgets. <laughs> <laughs> and so, so Sharon Lecter is a co-author of Exit Rich. I was a co-author of Exit Rich. And um, she's a New York Times bestselling author five times. Yeah. Fantastic. So, yeah. And so what had you um, know that running a business was the right thing for you? Um, probably when I went to work for someone else and hated to be told what to do. <laughs> <laughs> and they would say, Michelle, go do this. I'm like, you go do it. <laughs> <laughs> exactly. I'm, I'm not one. I mean, that is my biggest, biggest, biggest pet peeve is for somebody to tell me what to do. Yeah. It drives me crazy. My husband yeah. tells me what to do. I'm like, don't tell me what to do. We've been together 25 years. You should learn by Come now. Come <laughs> on, we know that. We know that. Yes. So I would think, you know, I went to work for Xerox. Xerox actually recruited okay. me. And I went to work for Xerox. And, you know, I love Xerox, but... You know, corporate America is just not for me. Yeah. I like to do things, you know, my way. Now, when I say I like to do things my way, you know, I have mentors. I listen to other people. Yes. You know, I listen to advice. It's not that it's my way or no way, because I do yeah. do have mentors, but I just like, I just don't like to be told what to do. I I find the same thing and and, mm -hmm. and no question that that kind of is a, is a, is a, is a, a way that leads you to entrepreneurship. And on the other hand, I, I, I love partnership. I've been in lots of partnerships and that works. Uh, and there's no question that it would only work with a partner who had, you know, high emotional intelligence, you know, who, you know, again, Hey, what do you think we should do? And how about that? Like, I think there is something that, that that's, that's how I feel like I need to be engaged. Yeah, I feel the same, you know, and I, I have partners as well. Plus I have, you know, employees and, yes. you know, my employees tell me what to do. <laughs> like yes, exactly. Show, you got to do this podcast. I'm sure you got to do that. And that's okay, you know, because yeah. it's it's my own gig and, and the kind of same thing with my partners. I just, I'm not the employee type, you know, yeah. I feel I would probably get fired more often than not. <laughs> so I don't <laughs> think I make a good employee. Absolutely. And, and so what about thinking back? I know you've had lots of success um, in your in sold so many businesses. What about failures or mistakes? And how do you look at that, Michelle? Um, you know, I have had failures. I've had mistakes. I've had some costly mistakes. that cost mm -hmm. me a tremendous amount of money. Um, but the way I look at that is, you know, I always try to look at things of why something is happening to why has somebody why something's happening for me and not to me yeah you know why did this happen for me tony robbins talked about that i remember yeah. the first time i i um i was a tony robbins plant member and the first time i went to a tony robbins conference he talked about that um, it, that just really resonated with me but i always look at why did this happen for me because there should be a lesson yes in everything in every success and every failure there should be a lesson and so many people just focus on why is this happening to me? Why is this happening to me? And not looking at why did it happen for me? And a lot of times it happens to, for you for a very good reason. Um, but as far as failures and mistakes, um, you know, I've hired the wrong people. I'm, I hired wrong, the wrong person one time and it cost me about a quarter of a million dollars. Wow. And um, that really was almost, you know, that was theft. Yeah. Um, and then I hired another person and it cost me some money. But the way, you know, everybody's like, oh, you should sue that person. You should go after that person. And nothing good's going to come off out of that. And the right. person really doesn't have anything to get anyway. Right. Plus, you know, the only people that win are the lawyers. So the yes. way I look at it is uh, I made it once. I'll make it again. This yeah. time I'm going to spin it differently. And I'm going to use better judgment and I'm going to do more due diligence ahead of time. <laughs> yeah. And it's and and what I get about you is you're taking responsibility, and that's what Tony really calls us to do with what is happening for us. So it's being responsible. If someone stole from me, well, how did I participate? What could I have done? What steps could I have taken? What you know in the recruiting, and then in the management, right. and the you know control. Right. I made mistakes in the recruiting because I trusted people in our circle. Uh, this yeah. person was a speaker and spoken in. You know, some of the events I went to, and I'm a speaker as well. And I trust because yeah. everybody around him said trust him. Yes. But I did, you know, his clients, you know, I did talk, call one of one or two of his testimonials. And 
they're like, ah, you know, he's a very angry person. He's hard to do business with. He screams and yells all the time, you know, and I yeah. should have listened to that. Yes, exactly. <laughs> you know? yeah. But a lot of times we listen to, you know, our, our inner self tells us what the outcome is and what we want the outcome to be. So we really focus more on what we're trying to get the outcome versus making sure that we focus, follow the steps to make sure we're ensuring, hiring the right person. Am I making sense? No, it totally like, makes sense. The outcome is so sense. important to us that we want this outcome, we want this outcome. So we don't always cross the T's and dot the I's and make sure that we protect our investment. And I've done no. that. I've done that twice. <laughs> okay. Well, once with a yeah. partnership, once with an investment. Usually when I invest money, though, I'm pretty good. I've done yeah. once with an investment and once with hiring the wrong market. Yeah. Yeah, no, I, well, I, well, I hear you. And I, and I know in terms of, you know, creating your future and, and that's really what we're talking about. One of the amazing things that you do is, is you get leaders and entrepreneurs to plan their exit strategy right from the start. So mm -hmm. why don't you speak to that and, and how you do that? Sure. So, you know, the biggest mistake that business owners make is that they don't plan their exit. Steve Forbes states that 80% of businesses will not sell. 80. I mean, that's a startling statistic. Yeah. C4 also gave us an, an endorsement to Exit Rich. And so, you know, you got to figure out why is that? Well, lo there's lots of reasons for that. But the number yeah. one reason is business owners never think about their exit until a catastrophic event has occurred, whether that's internal or external. External, you know, external is COVID. <laughs> internal yes. could be health issues, death, partner disputes, you know, divorce. Right. And the problem with is trying to sell during a catastrophic event is you're not going to maximize value because your business is typically trending downward, not upward. The best time to sell your business is when your business is in its prime, when yeah. it's doing really, really well. But business owners don't want to sell in the prime because that's in their heyday and they just want to rake in all the dough. But that's <laughs> when you really should sell because, you know, what goes up must come down at some point, right? So you really have to plan your exit from the beginning and business owners don't do that. And then the other big issue is when, when they think about selling, they're like, well, Michelle, I need $20 million for my business. Okay. How did you come up with that? Yeah, well, that's what sure. I need to retire on. <laughs> that's what I, that's what I need to put five girls, you know, through college and pay for their weddings, or that's what I need to buy an Island or whatever yeah. it is. They base the value on what they need for their beginning strategy. Right. And buyers don't care about what you need or what you want. <laughs> buyers for care sure. about what the value is to them. So if you want to build, if you want to sell for $20 million, then build a $20 million company. So that's what I work my, that's what I walk my clients through is how to build a GPS exit model from day one of buying or starting a company. Right. And that's, and that's really how to build a sustainable and scalable and sellable business. Yes. But it's also a plan. So I tell my clients, okay, listen, <laughs> number one, figure, let's, let's pick a number. If right. you say, I want to sell my company for $20 million, great, we got a number. Right. You know, you don't drive anywhere that you've never been before without pulling out your iPhone, right? Pulling out your iPhone, yeah. putting in de your destination of where you want to go. The problem yes. is that most business owners don't have a destination. They don't have an end game. So they drive around in circles up and down the financial hills to end up nowhere. Right. So I tell all my business owners, figure out your end game, figure out your destination. Where do you want to end up at? That's number one. Number right. two, what else does the GPS model need to know? It needs to know where your what your current location is. Where are you starting right. from? Right. What is your current valuation? Mm -hmm. Now you'd be surprised, Chris. As humans, we'll go to the doctor once a year and get an annual checkup. Right. We want to make sure our body's in good health. We'll take our car into the shop to get a, a, a annual checkup tune-up. But right. we never get a business evaluation, an annual business valuation checkup. Most right. business owners have never even had their business evaluated. Right. I'm working with a business owner who's been in business 45 years. He's never had an evaluation. How do right. you do that? You need a business evaluation every year because there are events that increase the value and events that decrease the value, like COVID. Right. COVID has decreased the value of hospitality, but it's no increased the value of major manufacturing. Mm -hmm. You know, so you have to have that valuation. And then, so let's say your business is worth $3 million and you right. want to sell it for $20 million. Well, what's next? Now you need to know time frame. Right. So let's say you want to do that in 10 years. Great. You have what I call a plan. <laughs> yeah. And now you need to know who's your buyer is going to be. There's right. five types of buyers. 
So mm-hmm. if you want to sell a twenty million dollar company, you're not going to sell it to, you're not going to sell it to a first time buyer because they can't afford you. For sure, and you're not going to sell it to a turnaround uh, specialist because they buy distressed assets. So you're probably going to sell it to a PEG, which is a private equity group, competitor slash strategic or a serial entrepreneur. Right. And then you need to know, well, gosh, following stuff for twenty million dollars. Where did the financials need to be? Where's the top line need to be? And right. most importantly, where does the EBITDA or needs before interest, taxes, depreciation, amortization have to be? Right. So to sell for, for 20 million, your EBITDA needs to be between three to five million. Exactly. Three to four million. Yeah. And then you need to know well, what characteristics, what are the synergies that buyers are looking for? What will buyers pay top dollar for? And then what is my why? Why do I want to sell a business for $20 million? Because if it was easy, everyone would be doing it. It's not easy to sell a $20 million company. No kidding. No kidding. Very okay. few so your why is going to be strong enough, powerful enough to keep you in the game, to keep you weathering all the financial storms. Right. Yeah. No. And uh, and obviously big numbers like that, that's, that's really creating an enormous amount of value for your customers you know, like your, of your existing business, then ultimately the person who buys your business is a customer because they're looking to get a return on their asset. Right. Absolutely. Absolutely. Buyers are not going to buy the business unless they can ROI it. Right. And yeah. it's not always ROIing it by EBITDA. You can buy a synergy that gives you an ROI. For instance, right. Facebook paid $19 billion for WhatsApp and WhatsApp was hemorrhaging money. <laughs> but WhatsApp had a synergy that Facebook wanted. They had a billion users. Yeah. So Facebook was buying a company, losing money, but they knew they could ROI and monetize on those billion users. Right. Yeah, no, I can I can see that. And so what about, I know one thing that you talk about is the 10 biggest profit mistakes uh-huh. in running a business. Mm-hmm. So there's lots of profit mistakes. Number one profit mistake is, you know, not following the GPS exit model and building a business to sell. But there's so many and and really... I correlate all the, t- the profit mistakes to what I call the six P's. So okay. I can kind of take you through the six P's and tell you profit mistakes as we go, if that's okay. Sure. That'd be great. Yeah. yeah. So like the number one P, and, and this is probably the number one profit mistake the business owners make, is that they are the business. Right. If they get hurt, if they get diagnosed with cancer, if they can't work anymore, a lot of times there is no business. Right. You know, so that's a huge profit mistake. And the first P is people. Right. You build a business and people build the business. You don't you don't build a business, you build people and people build a business. Yeah. Okay. So you have to have the right people in the right seats. One of the biggest mistakes that business owners make is they think they can do everything. Entrepreneurs are like, oh, I can do everything. You know, they think they're bulletproof and yeah. they think they can do everything. They can't. Entrepreneurs have strengths and we have weaknesses. Focus on your strengths, hire your weaknesses. Right. And put the right people in the right seat and ask the who question. Ask who opens the door, who handles customer service, who handles marketing, who handles um, legal, who handles accounting, who handles manufacturing, transportation, logistics, who, who, who. The clue, Chris, is you should never be next to Never be in the button. That's right. Yes. (laughs) I mean, here's a a quick story for you. I had a sweet little old lady call me a couple months ago, and she was devastated because her husband dropped out of a heart attack. And he had a business for 30, 40 years. And she right. said, I need you to sell my business. She goes, I heard you're the best. And I go, I am. <laughs> and I started asking her <laughs> questions. And come to find out, she, there was nothing to sell. He had right. no employees. Right. He had a construction company, no employees, no general manager, no um, supervisors. He had all subcontractors. So yeah. he was a general. So he did everything. He had yeah. no processes and procedures. He had nothing. He had no business. He had a glorified job for the past 40 years. Right. And he left her with a mountain of debt. Oh. And I said to her, I'm so sorry. You know, there's not really anything I can do. Right. And I don't like to see anyone in that situation. So business owners really need to think about more than just themselves. They need to think about their family. Yes. You know, I, a lot of, like I said, entrepreneurs think they're bulletproof and, you know, we are all going to die, unfortunately. Yes, we will. Yes, we and, will. You know, and that was so sad for her that he did not set her up for success. Yeah. So you got to set your loved ones up for success and plan your exit. So people's number one. Um, number two is product. And this, this is where business owners also make a huge, huge profit mistake. You know, when I wrote my first book in 2013, Sell Your Business for More Than It's Worth, I did the research and learned that 85 to 95% of all startups would fail, right? Right. One to five years, that's when you're at great risk. We all know that. 
However, yeah. when I wrote Exit Rich in 2019 and 2020 and did the same research, I learned that the business landscape has flip-flopped. It's changed dramatically. And so now it's only 30% of startups are at risk. Only 30%. Wow. Those one to five years, you're okay, startup world. <laughs> mm -hmm. But out of 27.6 million companies, those businesses that have been in business for 10 years or longer, 70% of those businesses will go out of business. Seven, zero. 70%. What's, what's changed? That's exactly. See, so to put it in perspective for you, in the media, you hear about all the public businesses. Toys R Us went out of business, been in business 75 years. Yeah. Kmart, Steinmart, Pier One, Godiva, our favorite chocolate is closing down 1,500 locations. GNC is closing down 900 locations. So, but you never hear about the small companies, you know, the private businesses and not just small, so big businesses going out of business too. All the right. private companies on every street corner. Unfortunately, many of these business owners are having to sell for pennies on a dollar, close their business or file bankruptcy. So what's causing this? Here's, here's the number one mistake. And I'm talking about this in product because product is so important. Product is your industry, your product, your service. Mm -hmm. Most business owners that have been in business 10 years or longer stop doing what I call AIM. Mm -hmm. AIM is always innovate and market. Yes, for sure. Always innovate and market. You're either growing or you're dying. Yeah. There is no in between. You're yeah. growing or you're dying. So these owners stopped growing. They stopped innovating. Toys R Us did nothing different in 75 years. <laughs> Blockbuster sold Netflix. They saw the writing on the wall. They had an opportunity to buy Netflix and they sat back fat and happy and didn't do anything. So they're out of business. Yeah. And so many business owners are not innovative. They're not creating. You got to keep creating. You know, Amazon changed the way that consumers purchase products forever. Right. COVID has now changed the way that we buy groceries. For sure. Now we can just order online and have a grocery shipped to us. Same day. Mm -hmm. You know, so you really got to have your, you know, Steve Jobs was a great visionary. Steve Jobs could predict what people need in the future, right? Right. You got to always innovate and you got to ask yourself on products or is your product, is your industry thriving or is it dying? Are you on the way up or on the way out? Are you an Amazon or a blockbuster? Yes. And if you're a blockbuster, you have to ask yourself three. I always say, ask yourself these three transformational questions. Number one, Amazon did this back in the nineties. Number one, what business are you in? Amazon right. asked themselves, what business are we in? And they said, we're booksellers. Number two, what do you do really well, better than anyone else? We do fulfillment. Yes. That's what they do better than anyone else. Number three, what business should we be in? We should be in the fulfillment business. Yes. And that's what transformed Amazon into a small bookseller into the multi-billion dollar worldwide conglomerate that they are today. Mm -hmm. And that's products. That's why so many businesses are going out of business. Restaurants right now are dying because they're not pivoting. Yeah. You can still be in a restaurant and you can still be successful. Yeah. You just have to do things differently. Yeah. Innovate you have and to market. Think differently. Yeah. That's yeah. right. And yeah. if you can't do it, you need to align yourself with an expert who can because when you're in your fog, it's foggy. <laughs> mm -hmm. Yeah. So you need yeah. an outsider's perspective to help you read the warning signs. Yeah. And, and it seems to me like one of the things that happens, it's just being human. People get successful and all of a sudden, wow, I'm 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 winning. I'm 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 yeah. I'm earning money. And they they get complacent. And, and there is just no space in the marketplace for that. There's no space in the marketplace for complacency anymore because there's so many amazing entrepreneurs that are problem solvers and they're thinking of, they're constantly thinking about solutions. Here's a problem. Here's a solution. Here's a problem. Here's yeah. a solution. And that's what entrepreneurship is. And when you take your, your, your eye off of that and you take your, you know, post off the market, that's, that's when you're going to fall short. So you always, if you want to stay in business, you should always innovate. If not, you should sell, <laughs> let somebody else. Right. Yes. You 100%. Yeah. Like that's really what's true or, or find yeah. someone in your business who can, who can play a key role and innovate. Because uh, it, 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 and a lot of times it may look like a business is the same, but they're not, you know, yeah. they're, they're completely different in terms of how they're doing the business because it's yeah. not just necessarily product. There's way 
ways that you can deliver the product or you can recruit the people to deliver the product or whatever it is. So Absolutely. So innovation is key. And it's not just innovation with the product. It's innovation. How are we going to get it to you? Yeah. You know? Innovation is in every different aspect of your business. Hey, leaders. I hope you're enjoying this episode so far. Since we started this podcast, every person you've heard from has been one of the incredible alumni of the Student Works Management Program. In large part, that's how I got to meet these amazing people and participate in their development. Starting now and only for the next few weeks, we'll be on campuses across Ontario, Quebec, and the East Coast, interviewing students who think they have what it takes to start their first business and get started down the path of entrepreneurship. If you think you have what it takes or know someone who might be interested, visit leaderspodcast.ca slash apply and start your application process today. Once again, it's leaderspodcast.ca slash apply. Now back to the episode. Number three is processes. Yes. So processes are so important because they're the infrastructure of your company. Yeah. So, so many business owners don't think about processes until something happens. Yeah, and no. Processes should really be designed with the customer experience in mind. Yeah. So Amazon did a really good job at that. And I'll tell you, did you ever watch the movie, The Founder? Yes, Mr. Paul love the that. Brothers. Great movie, love right? That. Great movie. Fabulous movie. Mm-hmm. So back in the 40s, um, there were all these fast food drive up Sonic type restaurants, but it wasn't perfected. So the food was always cold. The orders always took so long and it was always wrong. So the McDonald brothers, not Ray Kroc, the McDonald brothers said, we're going to open up a fast food restaurant and we're going to develop processes around our customer experience that we're trying to achieve. Yeah. So their customer experience was we want our customers to get great tasting food that's hot fast, two minutes or less. How do we do yeah. that? Do you remember when they went out to the tennis courts and I took all their employees to the empty tennis courts and they drew yes. out the processes, they erased it. They were all bumping in each other. They drew it out and did it again. They did that all day yeah. until they figured out who takes the order, who toasts the buns, who cooks the burgers, who puts the pickles on the bun and gives it to the client hot two minutes or less. Yeah. They are systemized. That's why you can eat at a McDonald's anywhere in the world and what received the exact same experience it's because incredible. they've designed their processes with the customer experience in mind. So many companies do the opposite. They design their process to alienate the customers. How many times? Well, think about when you've had experience and you're like, Oh my God, why do I do this? It's so horrible. Yeah. So many times, right? Yeah. Banks are notorious for it. Yes. Social yes. media companies. I don't want to name any, but social media <laughs> companies are notorious for it. And a lot of times you can't even get a contact person. Exactly. Cellular communication companies. Yeah. Now, sure. Amazon does a pretty good job with their processes designed with the customer experience in mind. So you mm-hmm. want to make sure your, your processes are designed to create happy, wow experiences, yes. not the opposite. And then you want to make sure they're you know, efficient, productive, and well-documented. Buyers, when buyers look at businesses, one of the first things they ask for for due diligence is your policy and procedure manuals, yeah. your employee um, handbooks, your employee non-competes. Mm-hmm. Okay, very important. The um, fourth P is proprietary. So this is the number one value driver. So most businesses under a million dollars in EBITDA are they trade at a multiple of of seller's discretion earning or EBITDA anywhere from one and a half to three, maybe four. Yeah. If you want to get five and above, then your EBITDA needs to be over a million dollars because most people don't understand this. The higher the multiple, I mean, the higher the the EBITDA, the higher the multiple. So if you got a multiple at $12 million, you're, I mean, if you got an EBITDA of of $12 million, your multiple is going to be higher than if it was $1.2 million. You follow me? Yes. But what else drives multiples are proprietary, proprietary IP. So Mm -hmm. proprietary, there's six pillars of proprietary. Number one is branding. The more well-branded your business is, the more money I can sell your company for as long as the brand is still relevant in the mind of the consumers. Right. Is anybody paying anything for Blockbuster? No. 
No. no. But <laughs> people we will still buy Toys R Us because right. their brand is still relevant in the mind of the consumers. And if you get an innovative visionary that can take Toys R Us and put it online, kind of like Amazon did, and have some you know creative ideas, then Toys, Toys R Us could still be a viable brand, wow. right? Okay. So brand is very important. Trademarks is another big one. So we're selling a, a company right now that has seven different trademarks on exclusive products that they have in different retail chain stores. And that adds value because when you have products that have trademarks, and if you're in Walmart or, or you know, some of the Target or some of the big grocery stores, that adds value. Right. Um, so trademark your company name, trademark your slogan. Don't just get a state trademark. Most business owners mess up because if they open a business in Texas, they go get a Texas trademark. You don't do that. You need to get a federal trademark. I keep forgetting you're in Canada. Yeah. But you need to get a federal trademark if you're in, in the United States and yeah. protect your brand. Also get a federal trademark on your slogans and anything that's unique to you. And then the other thing that's big is patents. Mm -hmm. Do you guys watch Shark Tank? Yes. And what, what, what do all the investors ask every inventor? Oh, do you have a patent on it? Or yes, where where's it? Do you, sitting? And they go down yes. the line. Do you have a patent on it? Do you have a patent pending? Do you have a utility patent yes. on that? Yeah. I don't want to say, you know, Lori just asked that question. Y'all stop asking it. <laughs> but everybody always asks that question about patents because patents are very valuable and it does protect your invention, especially utility patent. Um, and then the other thing that's really valuable are contracts. Right. Buyers will pay more money for contracts manufacturing contracts, distribution contracts, franchisor contracts with their franchisees, exclusivity, exclusive contracts. Also, what's really big is client contracts. It's the most valuable of all the contracts because right. buyers want to buy businesses with reoccurring revenue streams, yes. residual income coming in. We're working with a company right now that, that has a SaaS company and they're really yeah. big in the colleges. They have yeah. about 650 colleges paying them every single month on every student. Yes, the SaaS companies. SaaS companies have a great multiples because yes, of that. Yes, they do. They mm -hmm. do. Um, but this company is not just SaaS, but it's part SaaS. But this company. So here's a caveat to contracts. In the United States, ninety nine point nine percent of all sales are asset sales, not stock sales. A hundred percent of all business owners I've ran into think that their contracts are transferable and they're not. They don't have that two-sentence transferability clause. You must have a two-sentence transferability clause in all of your agreements. Otherwise, it's not transferable. And if the buyer doesn't agree to do a stock sale or the clients don't agree to transfer the contracts over, then your deal could fall apart. <laughs> okay? So everyone needs to get that two-sentence um, contract. The other thing we already talked about was databases. Databases are really big because... Marketing companies want clients and they want to be able to retarget and repurpose. You know, we talked about Facebook. Facebook paid a billion dollars, $19 billion for WhatsApp and WhatsApp was losing money. Wow. Uh, and then there's also IP real estate. So what I call IP real estate is anything like celebrity endorsements. Mm -hmm. You know, let's say that you have a skincare line and Oprah Winfrey has endorsed your product and you're on her favorite things. Right. There are strategics and competitors that would love to get their products in front of Oprah. <laughs> Because mm -hmm. <laughs> if the queen says it's good, it's good. <laughs> and same thing with like um, um, placement platforms. So let's say you manufacture living room sets and you're number right. one on Wayfair. Yeah. Or let's say you, you manufacture those masks that we all have to wear and you're number one in Etsy. Yeah. <laughs> yes. So those are things that really drive the multiple up to a much higher multiple. That's when... We can bring enough buyers to the table. So the more synergies a business has, two things are very important. Your EBITDA needs to be over a million dollars and you need to have synergies. Right. Once you have synergies and we'll get your EBITDA over a million dollars, guess what I can bring you? Hundreds and hundreds of buyers creating a bidding war that will pay yeah. top dollar. It's all going to be based upon what buyer wants it the most. Right. And how much they're willing to pay for your synergies. Because it's not just about buying a business. It's about buying synergies that will catapult their business to the next level. Right. Yes. Because one plus one can equal four or five. Exactly. Know, it, yeah. And then they can take advantage of economy of scales. And a lot of times, you know, competitors or strategics have the infrastructure in place. So yeah. right away, they can look at a business and say, you know what? 
we have, we're in manufacturing, we're buying manufacturing, we have distribution all over the United States and Canada. This company has one distribution center costing them about, you know, $10 million to operate a year. We can cut that company and, and we can double our EBITDA from day one. Yeah, yeah. So those uh, are the I, things we look at when we go over, when we look at valuations. Yeah, I had a friend who sold his business like that. It was it basically added on to the existing business. It was pure profit for the existing business, although he wasn't making money at the time and they were able to find out a, a deal that made sense for both of them. So, yeah. so um, and, and so how else do you maximize valuations, Michelle? So um, can, I can I take a two Ps really quickly? Yes, yeah, so sorry, I jumped over those. That's okay. Oops. So the fifth P is patrons. That's, okay. your that's your customer base. Most companies in the United States, I don't know about Canada, but most companies in the United States have follow the 80-20 rule where 80% yes. of their business comes from 20% of their clients. If you lose yeah. a couple of clients, you're in big trouble. Yeah. So you really want customer diversification. You know, the other thing that business owners stop doing, Chris, is not only do they stop innovating, but they stop asking their clients, what do you need? Yeah. What do you want? How can mm -hmm. I make it easier for you to do business with us? Because yeah. whoever makes it easiest for the consumer to do business is the company that's going to continue to win. Right. You know? Um, so the last P is profits. The most important to all of us entrepreneurs is profits. But profits is never the problem. I have clients that come to me all the time and say, Michelle, I have a profit problem. And I'm like, no, you have a people problem. Yes, <laughs> or exactly. you have a process problem. Or a marketing no, problem. You yeah. have a marketing problem. Yeah, it's never, so the so it's always a symptom of not operating on one of the other five Ps. Mm -hmm. If you're not operating on one of the other five Ps, I promise you, you will have profit problems. <laughs> Absolutely. <laughs> There's no question about that. Yeah. So what about what about maximizing uh, uh, valuations? Obviously, you've done that a lot for your clients. What 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 are what are the keys to that? So the keys are kind of the things I just mentioned. Is um, number one, we work with our clients to ensure that the business is operating on all six cylinders, all six Ps, mm -hmm. because. We know that if we have, like we have a dentist that just came to us and wants to sell his dental practice. He is the dentist, no other dentist. <laughs> oh, that's Three not going to work. <laughs> and I told him, I said, we can sell your business, but we can't maximize your business. Yeah. We can't maximize the sell of it. You know, and a sell of it's going to be tied to you staying there for so long. Yes. So when we maximize value, we take our clients for each one of these P's. Yeah. And we look at each P to see how they're doing in order to help them tweak the P's that are their weakness and um, in order to build that company up. So the way to maximize value is, again, get your EBITDA over a million dollars. Very mm -hmm. important because you're in a whole new league when your EBITDA is over a million. Like private equity groups, they won't even consider you for a platform unless you have at least $3 million in EBITDA. Right. So the higher the EBITDA, obviously, the more buyers you will have the more we'll be able to create a bidding war. So we also maximize value by going through each one of the P's, especially proprietary. And the way we maximize value, you know, when we do evaluations, we use six different um, ways to, to, model, to evaluate a business. It's based upon market approach, industry approach, asset approach, just kind of cash flow. And we also look at the six P's. Then we look at our buyers and say, okay, what buyers would pay more for that or pay more for this energy or more for this energy? And we go to market without putting a price. Right. Now, if it's a smaller company under a million EBITDA, then we'll probably go to market with a price. But if it's a larger company, like right now we're, we're marketing a company that has $17 million in EBITDA. Wow. We're not going to market with a price. We're telling the market, mm -hmm. you tell us what, what you're willing to pay. Right. And um, we know what synergies we have and we know what buyers we're bringing to the table. So that's how we maximize value. I mean, it's more of an art than it is a science. I'm sure, it's, yes. It's really getting to know the business intimately and knowing all of the assets and all the synergies that that business has. And then knowing the buyers and knowing what they're willing to pay top dollar for and what means the most to them. Awesome, awesome. And so, so some of the some of the 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 questions that we love uh, on this uh, this the the our podcast just because of our avatar is as you went from you know being a college student to a full time value creator in the real world what did you need to change about yourself to have the amazing success you've had Michelle um, stop stop staying out with my friends till four o'clock in the morning. <laughs> Check. I got to stop that. Stop partying with all my friends. <laughs> yeah. I think it, you know, I think it, um, 
you know, for me, it was focused more on, you know, your business, focus more on your career than mm-hmm. your personal and then personal stuff, you know, personal yeah. stuff will come later. Okay. You know, I think that was probably one of the biggest shifts. Also go to different events. Your network equals your net worth. Yes. You know, if you want to be rich, you hang out with rich people. If you want to be broke, hang out with broke people. <laughs> yeah. You know, if you want to be happy, hang out with happy people. You want to be miserable, hang out with miserable people. Your network equals your net worth. And it's, you know, kind of, um, you know, and then get mentors. You know, I really didn't start doing that until probably 2011, 2012. Wow. Okay. If I would have done it earlier, I probably would be the president of the United States of America right now. <laughs> And so that was a big joke because I would not do that job for a quarter of a million dollars a year. (laughs) Absolutely. I knew you had no interest in that job. I know that. that. You're too smart for that. So yeah, (laughs) it's crazy, crazy trying to do that job. So, um, so what key habits would someone want to uh, steal from you? Oh gosh. Um, that's a great question. I've never been asked that question before. I would say, and you know what? And that's, that's amazing for you because I've been on probably 150 podcasts and nobody's <laughs> asking that question. Um, well, you know, I don't know if they want to steal them or not. Cause you know, I get up at 4 30 AM, okay. 4.30, 4.45. Most people don't want to steal that because they right. want to keep sleeping. Yeah. I get up and I work out for an hour. Um, 45 minutes to an hour every single morning. I also make sure I take some time, you know, within that time frame to give gratitude and, you know, to, to be thankful for what I have and, and, you know, ask for grace throughout the day of, of what I'm going to do. Um, so that's a big habit of mine. Another big habit is, is me instilling those values in my daughter who's 10. You know, we don't, we, I don't let her go to bed without telling God what she's thankful for and then um, asking God what she needs the most help with, mm-hmm. like listening to mommy more, not telling mommy no. <laughs> <laughs> You're giving her cheat notes for the prayers. Yeah. And then um, another big habit of mine, um, I'm very, I don't know if this is a good habit or not, but I'm very list. Everything is list. Okay. Planning, <laughs> list, organizing. List, list. Yeah. yeah. Planning, organizing. We have list for everything. All of my people um, are managed by list. Now they manage their own list, but um, they're all managed by list and by, not just by list. Like it's not about task. It's about yes. results. Yes. What results do you want to accomplish today? What results do you want to accomplish today? Those sound like great habits, and and you know one many of those habits are common, especially the waking up early, right? Yeah, like that yeah. is a a, a a definite habit yeah. of highly successful people. You know, I do go to bed started. early now. I do go yes. to bed. I don't stay up at four o'clock in the morning with my yeah. friends anymore. I already <laughs> I mean, knew that. <laughs> I didn't go. To, I probably go to bed around eight thirty because I put my daughter to bed and I'm exhausted, so I fall asleep with her. <laughs> but um, you know, I was listening to something on. Um, Oh my gosh, my gosh, my gosh. The, the quarterback for Tampa. What's his name? Yes. I just drew a blank. Uh, uh, Tom Brady. Thank you. I was listening to his habits. And his habits is, you know, he goes to bed at nine and wakes up at six. Yeah. He never stays up past nine. <laughs> I was yeah. listening. And what he eats, you know. Yeah. All of that stuff is really important to success. Even what you eat is important to success. It's it's enormous. And and again, it's it's obviously for a an incredible athlete like Tom, but yeah. for all of us, it matters, you know, right. what you eat. And you can see, uh, you know, it was Valentine's Day yesterday. And and so so I didn't eat as well as normal with my sweetheart. And so I, I'm not feeling as sharp today. That's just, that's just kind of what happens now. That's okay. I'm not, you know, uh, you know, there's, 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 uh, there's a balance in life. So, yeah. so, you know, we can, we can do things that, that don't always fit the the regular plan. I and agree. then my final question, when you think of a leader of tomorrow, what comes to mind, Michelle? When I think of a leader of tomorrow, what comes to mind? Hmm. Uh, you, you're talking about a business leader? In business? Yeah, I, 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 I think uh, a great leader is is a leader in all things. If something shows up in one area of your life, it shows up in other areas. Are you, are you talking me? Are you asking me to name a person? No, no. Just oh, when you okay. think of a leader of tomorrow, what, what things come to mind? Oh, okay. Um, somebody who, somebody who, not only talks the talk but walks the walk. 
Love that. You know, there's so many people who, who say they're great leaders, but they don't practice so much. Yeah. Um, I think Joyce Myers is a is an amazing leader. I don't know if you've ever followed Joyce Myers. I haven't, no. Um, but she's a, she's an amazing leader, and um, she has a show on Lifetime every morning. I watch it every morning at 6 a.m. Fantastic. But she's an amazing, amazing leader about the Bible. Right. And, um, you know, I think she, she practices what she preaches and, you know, treat people as you want to be treated. Yes. You know, always do the right thing no matter who's looking. Doesn't yes. matter who's looking. You yeah. always do the right thing. Yeah. Doesn't matter if somebody treated you badly or somebody stabbed you in the back or somebody yeah. took a quarter of a million dollars from me. <laughs> 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 what matters is that you forgive. Yeah. You learn a lesson from it and you move on. You yeah. don't let it eat you up. Yes. Yes. And then somebody who really, really gives back to their community and gives back to, you know, their favorite nonprofit. We're actually yeah. starting a nonprofit. Fantastic. So, so that's, that's what a leader looks like to me. Um, and then somebody who, you know, always, always judge a leader by their kids. Yeah. You know, because if they have really great, well-rounded, well-respected children, that means they did a great job as a parent. Mm -hmm. And there's, you know, some really successful entrepreneurs that have really bad kids. <laughs> and yeah. Donald Trump, whether you like him or hate him, it doesn't matter. He does have great kids. Certainly seems that way to I me. I met his kids. I've spent yeah. time with his kids. Yeah. 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 It certainly seems that so way. So those to are me, some so. of the attributes. I'm sure I have a lot more, but. Yeah. Well, no, that's, well, that's, no, that's wonderful. I, I just love that. And I, I always find, uh, it's I love that question. So that's why it's the final question. And and Michelle, I I know you're you're busy and uh and I just so appreciate you uh making time for our young leaders today and making a really powerful impact for us uh today. So thank you so much. Thank you. Can I tell your young leaders where to get exit rich? Oh, please do. Yes, and, <laughs> and we'll you know, put it I in the to, notes. I wanted to tell you too. Has anybody said that you look like or sound like Howie Mendel? No, no. But he's Canadian and he's funny, way funnier than I am. You I sound love like him though. Your voice sounds like him and you look similar to him. Yes. It's, I'm bald. Like, like how well, there's so. a lot of bald men and they don't all look alike. <laughs> you and Howie kind of look alike and kind of sound alike. You should go listen well, thank, to him. Thank you. I see. No, I, by the way, I take that as a compliment. So thank you. I, I you know, definitely Howie's fantastic. <laughs> and one other, Oh, one other tip. One other thing I want to tell you, one other habit I wanted to tell you, I don't take lunch. I don't eat lunch. Oh, okay. And the reason for that as a business person, as an entrepreneur, is I think it's just a colossal waste of time. Right. And I do eat lunch at my desk. In fact, none of my employees take lunch. They all have the right, right to take lunch. Let's yeah. make sure human resource hears that. <laughs> they all have the right to take lunch. But um, no, we everybody eats at their desk. We do pizza parties. We do things yeah. in the office and bring food in. Facebook does the same thing. Yeah. Facebook feeds their people breakfast, lunch, and dinner because they want yeah. them to be productive. Yeah. And drive and drive results. I absolutely I, candidly, uh, you know, I, I, I love going for lunch when there's a, a reason to connect and there's value and there's, and they're sharing yeah. and otherwise, absolutely. I'm meeting at my desk and, and yeah. getting stuff done and creating value. I'd rather take them to dinner. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Gets back to that party thing. I think Michelle. No, it's just that my day is done. Now we Fantastic. can go to dinner instead of taking two hours out of my day during the middle of the day. You do a lot bigger lunches than me. Holy. <laughs> well, you know, by the time you leave your office, by the time you get somewhere. I know. know. And right now, you know, it's hard to do lunch because everything's we, closed. <laughs> we aren't doing lunch up here in Canada at all. So no. Oh, wow. <laughs> so all of your all of your young readers are young readers. You know, leaders are readers, right? The leaders are readers. You <laughs> bet they are. Yes. So all your leaders can go get Exit Rich. We are in the middle of pre-launch, so the book hasn't launched yet. However, they can buy it on Amazon, but I would encourage them to buy it at ExitRichBook.com because it's less expensive than Amazon. So for $24.79, we will email you the digital download immediately so you don't awesome. have to wait for the book launch. And then in the United States, we'll send you the hardcover. Because it's in Canada, we'll have to ship you the Kindle. <laughs> okay, <laughs> but you will also receive in pre-sale 
a lifetime membership to Exit Rich Book Club, where it has me doing video training of different concepts, strategies, and techniques. Plus, wow, we have fantastic. documents for your review and download. So a lot of clients say, Michelle, I've never seen an employee handbook or organizational chart or a policy and procedure manual. Or sellers will say, well, what does an LOI look like? A letter of intent or purchase right. agreement or due diligence checklist or closing docs. All of these documents are at Exit Rich Book Club for your review and your download. And this is over $25,000 worth of documents if you had your attorney try to recreate all. Fantastic. Yeah, 20, oh, over $25,000. Plus they get a 30-day membership into Club CEOs, which is a mastermind that I founded of entrepreneurs helping entrepreneurs. And we do hot seats, Q&As, and things of that nature to really help business owners and help startups. Fantastic. Well, that's, that's awesome. And I'm just, I'm, I'm so appreciative of, of uh, just what you're up to and how much value you're creating in the real world. And uh, uh, I can tell you are innovating and marketing. Yes, I am. Yes, I am. Yes, I am. And, and part of innovating is, you know, coming up with new books. So yes, yes, I am. Well, that's You're wonderful. either going or dying, and I'm not dying. Yeah. I don't want to die anytime soon. <laughs> we we are we are doing the same here. So, uh, and I totally agree with you. So, so right. thank you so much, and and you have yourself a wonderful day. And I and again, I, I I'm I'm very grateful to have uh, ha had this time with you. Thank you, Chris. Thank you so much. It's my pleasure. Okay, take care. Bye bye. Right. Bye bye. Hey, leaders. I hope you enjoyed this episode. Bye now you are aware that we work with ambitious students every single year to not only help them run their first successful business, but to further their development as a leader and give them an unfair advantage in the future over their counterparts. It's why starting now and only for the next few weeks, we'll be on campuses across Ontario, Quebec, and the East Coast interviewing students who think they have what it takes to start their first business and get started down their path of entrepreneurship. If you think you have what it takes or know someone who might be interested, visit leaderspodcast.ca slash apply and start your application process today. Once again, it's leaderspodcast.ca slash apply. And I can't wait to see you on the other side.